Hello and welcome to the Scriptures Are Real podcast. This is the podcast where we talk about times where something that we read or did or experienced or thought about or understood just made the Scriptures really come to life for us. And we believe that the Scriptures are powerful and the more real they become, the more we can draw on that power and apply them to our lives. I'm your host, Kerry Mielstein, and I'm so excited for my guest today, uh, a, a friend of mine that I've known for years. We first met in Jerusalem. And uh, you can correct me if I'm wrong on that, but we first met in Jerusalem and uh, kind of followed him through grad school. And now he's been a colleague of mine at at BYU in my same department for a number of years, Um, Avram Shannon. Thank you, Avram, and welcome for uh, for being with us. Thanks. I'm I'm glad to be here, Kerry. Thanks so much. So, uh, Avram, why don't you uh, tell us just a little bit about yourself, whatever you'd like for the audience to know. And uh, we're going to talk about uh, Avram or Abraham today, so it seems fitting that we have you on. But uh, why don't you uh, just tell us a little bit about uh, yourself? Okay, thanks. So, yeah, so I, I, I did my, I started my education. I did my undergraduate um, in Hebrew here at um, BYU and then did, I did a degree in Jewish studies at Oxford and then a degree. My, my PhD was at Ohio State, and there I did I did Hebrew broadly, um, but especially sort of rabbinic literature and how how the sages read scripture and things like that. And of course, again, and so uh, most of my work since then has been on kind of how religious communities understand and read scripture and things like that. Wonderful. So, and and you spent a little time at Hebrew U, didn't you? Is, 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 am I remembering wrong? Didn't I meet you in Jerusalem? I did. I, yeah, I did, I did Olpan. Oh, yeah, Olpan. Um, okay. I did, I did the, the, the modern Hebrew Olpan. That's, that's where we met in Jerusalem. I was I was there doing the Olpan for a summer when I was at Ohio State. Yeah, and for our, our listening audience, Olpan is the, the Israeli program for, it's really just a crash course in modern Hebrew where you just get, it, it's, I guess we should say immersion and crash course where you spend a few months where everything you do about everything is in Hebrew. And by the time you come out, you may go in speaking nothing, but you come out speaking Hebrew. So, uh, so yeah, that we met in, in Jerusalem there. So wonderful. Uh, and uh, Avram is also particularly good. Uh, I, I think he uh, probably, well, I hate to make comparisons, so I, I might get in trouble that way, but one of the very best we have in our department in, in terms of, uh, rabbinic literature and uh, understanding the law of Moses, both in in its original context, but also how it gets interpreted over time and that kind of a thing. And so, uh, I'm uh, just giving all of us a, a teaser now that I hope to uh, steal on uh, Dr. Shannon's uh, expertise and abilities a number of times. But in any case, today we'll just start out. Uh, I'd love to hear times when the scriptures became real to you, and hopefully as, as you share that with us, uh, it, it explains it a little bit more to others. And, and I think we talked today about focusing on a couple of the stories having to do with, uh, with Avram or Abraham. That's right. So yeah, so for me, the scriptures really become real. I mean, there's lots of ways the scriptures become real, but one of these really become real is when I can read about our scriptural characters, heroes, individuals, really grappling with things. Yeah. Because, I mean, life's hard, basically. Yeah. Um, I mean, we all know that instinctively. But sometimes as we think about scripture, we almost get a sense that, you know, these are just, you know, perfect people having perfect experiences and we can never do that or whatever. One of the things I really love about the Old Testament, the Bible in general, but the Old Testament specific and Genesis in specific specific is the willingness to really show these people grappling with things. Yeah. Just to show 
Father Abraham and Mother Sarah grappling with relationships to show what's going on and, and, and to not make it easy. No. To not say there's a way out of this. Yeah, I've, I've often said that, that the Old Testament in particular, and especially Genesis, will show us great men and women and their families, warts and all, uh, in the midst of their mess, messy, wart-filled families, right? And that's that's really helpful because we have we have warts and and messy lives and families as well yeah and so i i really appreciate that and 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 so for me that that's part of what makes it so real to me is and you get a real sense in in kind of these these stories of of sort of what abraham's like yeah right and sort of because because um the first one I, i want to talk about is is in genesis um 18 right so you have genesis 18 has this great story one you've got this great so this, this is really cool actually um so it begins abraham sitting in his tent and these three strangers um come by and abraham you know he invites them in because part of you have this in both actually both in both genesis 18 and genesis 19 you have these paired stories about ancient hospitality customs right and how abraham is super generous in his ancient hospitality. actually this is this is kind of fun for this right so Genesis 18, 4, we'll do 3 and 4, right? He says, Abraham said, My Lord, if now I have found favor in thy sight, pass not away, I pray thee for my servant. Let a little water, I pray you, be fetched, and wash your feet, and rest yourself under the tree. And then verse 5, And I will fetch a morsel of bread, and comfort ye your hearts. And then they say, Okay, we'll do that. We'll come in. And it is it's so classic, that whole hospitality idea, though, right? Let me wash yeah. your feet and give you some water and some food. That's what you should do for anyone that's coming by if you have that available. Right. And, 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 and again, this notion that Abraham, and actually we'll see um, as you're reading forward, Lot does the same thing. Yeah. When the strangers come to um, Lot and Sodom, Lot awful. He says, come in, stay in my house. Let me feed you. Let me take care of you. This is, and again, the ancient world, because it was such a dangerous place, the ancient world had really strong hospitality customs and especially in these places where water and food was not necessarily easy to come by it was very important that you could rely on others right i almost feel like scarlett o'hara where you can always rely on the kindness of strangers but uh but that is what it's supposed to be that you can yeah exactly now but part there's actually a little bit of humor here almost in how over the top abraham is the generosity and it's a little bit masked in our kjv translation there because so verse six, and Abram hastened into the tent unto Sarah and said, make ready quickly three measures of fine meal, knead it and make cakes upon um, the hearth. Now for us, for measures, we kind of say, oh, well, these are going to be, you know, like cups, right? So, you know, they need a little couple of, um, of that. Um, we know from archaeology that these three measures of flour would be equal to about 95 cups of flour. Okay. So <laughs> that would make a, a that. lot of cakes. Yeah. With 95 cups of blood. And then he goes and he kills, um, you know, the calf. And, 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 and he throws a party. Yeah, because if you if you kill a calf, I mean, that's that's pretty, that's probably about two-thirds of a freezer full of meat is, is how right. that would work out today, right? So that's, that's a lot of meat. And so I just love this because he starts, he says, you know, come on, I'll give you a little bit of water. I'll give you a couple of, you know, a couple of bites of bread. And then, and then um, he actually does it, and he throws this giant feast for them. Oh, that's great! And so I just, I just, 
I think it's really cool. And it, the way the, and the way it's it's highlighting there Abraham's. I mean, not not just as Abraham, you know, honoring the hospitality bond. He's going above and beyond. Right. Yeah, in how he's um, treating these. Strangers. Well, note no, he he wants specifically a, a calf that is tender and good, right? So uh, yeah. he's he really has given him the very best. Yeah, yeah. And again, he's never met these. It, it, it turns out to be Jehovah. Um, yeah. um, he's doing this, too, but he doesn't know that. Yeah. And so this is actually this is actually a really fun um, sort of lived example of what you know Jesus says in the parable of the sheep and the goats yeah right abraham is doing the least of these but he's actually doing it to god that's great yeah and it also makes me kind of want to go to dinner at abraham's but oh well sure no exactly i'll eat with you abraham that's fine (laughs) all right yeah no that's that's fantastic and and of course then he has this whole bartering thing after that but i love how it starts out with abraham Showing, and we've talked in the past about the Abrahamic covenant, uh, you know, and this obligation to take care of others. And Abraham is absolutely demonstrating that he does that here. Uh, but I don't think he's trying to demonstrate it. It's just happening naturally because this is Abraham. Yeah. And and actually that, that feeds in. And, and then, I mean, there's a, brief, there's a brief thing in the middle there where, you, you know, he gets an, another um, recapitulation of the Abrahamic covenant. Yeah. But then you get the, this really intriguing. They, they go away, sort of in verse 16, and then verse 17. Again, this feeds what you were just talking about there, where um, Jehovah says, can I hide from Abraham what I'm going to do? He's like, can I, can I stop this? Um, Seeing Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations will be blessed by him. Okay, really good. Abraham's but then this is really key. The Lord has seen this generationally. For I know him, and he will command his children and his household after him, and they will keep the way of Jehovah. Yeah. And, and I, he says, okay, can I, so even here he's talking this relationship that Abraham has with God. God is saying, but I know that part of this, why this is going to be, why this thing is a good thing, is because it's not just you. But it's going to be your children and your household. This idea that, again, that you're just talking about this, the Abrahamic covenant is not just about Abraham and Sarah and Isaac. That, that matters. Right. But there's so much more um, in that, um, with that. Yeah. I mean, well, maybe can I just add in, in there, as you're on verse 19, and, and it says, uh, command his children and his household after him, and they shall keep the way of Jehovah, as you said, or the way of the Lord, is, is how it's in KJV, but that is the way of Jehovah, um, to do justice and judgment. And, and it's interesting okay. because when we hear judgment, and it's coupled with justice there, we, we tend to think, oh, so he's going to go around and, and judge people, right? But, but most of the time, and I suspect judgment can be used in a couple of different ways, but most of the time it's used, it's used to mean to make things right for people. And, and most often that comes in taking in terms of taking care of them. We're going to take care of people. Yeah. And it's interesting because he's just demonstrated, right? So judgment is often used in this hospitality thing. Someone doesn't have food, water, you, you give it to them. He's just yeah. demonstrated that he's the kind of person to do that. And that results in God saying, well, I know that he will do justice and judgment and he'll teach his children to do justice and judgment. And so, as you said, without realizing that he's uh, just by naturally doing what he should and is inclined to do, he puts himself in a position where God is willing to share more with him. And and I think there's, uh, there's, I don't know, there's something just wonderful about that element of the story. Now, that's great. And actually, it's worth noting, it actually comes in our story in a little bit here. This word translated as justice um, often is, it's often translated as other places in scripture as righteousness. 
Um, and it actually comes into, we were just talking about this, it comes into later Jewish usage. Um, tzedakah is the word for charitable giving. Yeah, yeah. Um, you're, when you're doing justice, you're giving um, charitable. You, you, this is this covenant obligation to make sure people are taken care of. Yeah, but but it is most often translated as righteousness. And and I mean, just to kind of, as in a wayside, right? Tzedakah, that's in Melchizedek's name and so on. I mean, it's it's an important concept that we have all over the place. So very good. Thank you. Thank you. All right, good. So, and then we get in 20, we get the problem, which is that Sodom and Gomorrah, the, the, the cry comes up, there's a problem there. Yeah. And so and so God says, this, this is a little bit different than we talk about God in the scriptures broadly, but it's very, very, very Old Testament, actually very Genesis, right? He says, I'm going to go down now and see if they were, we're going to check things out and make sure things are what we hear about this. And again, for us in our modern age, we're used to thinking in terms of really, you know, you know, God's omniscience. Right. And, and that's fine. That's true. But that's not how the Old Testament often talks. about. You see the same thing with, say, the Tower of Babel, um, right. the, uh, the Tower of Babylon, where they go down. The same thing. I'm going to go down and check and see if this is what I'm um, expecting it to be. And, and I think there's something. Oh, I just accidentally minimized you. OK, now I can find you again. Um I think there's something to, uh, and I've talked about this in a number of, of podcasts and places, there, there's something to the fact that these people really speak in terms of symbol and symbolic action. And so it's one thing for God to say he is omniscient, and okay, they can get that, they can understand that. But it's another, for, for them, this is part of how God communicates with them, where he symbolically goes and looks. Right? He already can see, he can already tell. But the symbolism is, I will go and I will, or I will send other people to go and look and see this, and that speaks to them in a way that they are looking for and expecting beyond the just, uh, you know, uh, here's the message. I I looked right. That that this symbolic action is important for them. Yeah, absolutely. So he sends on the other two guys because there are three of them, and he stays, and, and and they'll pick up when I'm talking about um, today necessarily. But they pick up with Lot um, and that whole thing there. But then Abraham has a concern. Yeah. And again, remember back in verse sixteen, uh, verse verse nineteen, God has just con- has just you know really blessed Abraham and you know you know specifically commended him for his you know his justice. For his judgment, for for teaching this, for this kind of um, thing, right? But but, but suddenly, again, in terms of charity, right? I mean, uh, it's justice, right, exactly. but it's charity-filled justice, uh, as it were. So, yeah. And so and so, Abraham just he's like so. Verse twenty-three: Wilt thou also destroy the righteous with the wicked? Yeah. Abraham has a problem here. He's like, what what if we got righteous? You know, peradventure there be fifty righteous in the city. Wilt thou also destroy and not spare the place fifty righteous? And then this is actually really important for us. Verse 25. That be far from thee to do after this matter. God, Abraham is here telling God how he thinks God should act. <laughs> yeah. To slay the righteous with the wicked. And the righteous should be as the wicked. That be far from thee. And then here, this is key. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? And again, that word right there is going to be the same root. Sadak. Right. Um, is, is, is he doing, you know, can, can, and this is really important to us, by the way, in terms of oftentimes largely influenced by the way the Book of Mormon takes these words. We tend to view justice and mercy as these opposite forces, that justice is something that God's mercy must overcome. 
That's not how the Old Testament talks about God's justice and God's mercy. Yeah, justice and judgment is Testament, very different. Yeah. In the Old Testament, God's justice, God is just because he is merciful. Yeah. And you really see that here in um, Genesis 19, 19, 18, sorry, 18, 25, where he's basically saying, he's, this is an appeal to mercy for the people of, um, of Sodom. But he does it by an appeal to God's justice. Yeah. It would not be just, it would not be right for you to um, destroy them. And so, again, you can see those those paired things here with this. And um, But again, I really... Sorry, no, no, you go ahead. I, I just want to talk with you. This, this, those, the scriptures are real. I love sometimes you and... For me, I think one of the things I really appreciate in scripture and maybe you guys are all better than I am at this, but I, it's almost, I have the tendency to treat God as the beard in the sky, right? Uh, you know, I don't get have opinions. I don't get a whatever, but here's Abraham saying, are you sure you want to do this God? Right. Actually, what he's, he's, wrong. he's like, you, you, you shouldn't do this. And, and uh, so along those same lines, what I was going to say, really, I think I can say better because you, you brought that up, but um for me, one of the things that makes the scriptures most real is when I start to really think about the people and put myself in their situation and, and realize we're both people and and uh, not just them, but the people they know. So we have to remember that at this point, Abraham is probably thinking, you know, my nephew Lot's down there. And sure. and I would like for Lot to not be destroyed. Um, I love Lot and, and he probably loves everyone, but he especially loves Lot. Right. And and so. Uh, I, I see him kind of bargaining with the Lord here and, and saying, you know, hey, Lord, are you sure this is right? Because think about these righteous people. And, and in his mind, he's got to at least be thinking about Lot and Lot's children. And I'll tell you that I, there have been times where I've felt like as I'm pleading for my children, like, God, I don't, this doesn't feel like this is fair. And, and I'm going to accept whatever you want and I'll accept it your way. But is there any way this can be different? Because it doesn't feel right to me. And I am going to leave it up to God. But I can identify with Abraham here because I've felt that as I've, I've uh, wrestled in prayer. And that's really, I mean, if he's communicating with these angels or God here, that uh, uh, it's really a form of prayer. And I've certainly wrestled in prayer with God for my own loved ones. Yeah. And I, and I think, and of course, and it, again, the Lord says, he says, Okay, if I find fifty righteous people, I'll spare the city. Yeah. But that, but the, the thing about Abraham and what we talk about Abraham is that's not enough for Abraham. Abraham's like he's like okay, that that's good. But but he's like I've already twenty seven, right? Behold, I have taken upon me to speak unto the Lord, which am but dust and ashes. And by the way, this kind of obsequious way of talking it's very very ancient this is how um, oh, yeah. how inferiors talk to superiors in scripture yeah, and we find it attested in all sorts of ancient documents yeah yeah the, the, the switch to third person it's it's, it's just very very ancient yeah. you know this notion of being but he's like but 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 what, about, what you know five isn't that big a number so i mean 50 is great but what if they're only what if they're only 45 and again the lord says if I find 45, it's great. He says, no, 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 wait a minute. What about 40? Down, down to 40. Verse 30. Don't be angry, God. But again, if 40, but what about 35? And he does this back and forth. Yeah. 
Nearly gets him down again. I always saying, "Don't be mad at me. I'm just, I'm just talking. Just let's just work through this." Nearly gets God down to ten righteous, yeah. and you can kind of almost and picture him like he's in a market, right? Like, okay, I know you want me yeah, to no, pay absolutely. thirty shekels for these oranges, but what if we went twenty-five? What do you think about that? Well, since twenty, what about twenty? You know, yeah, and you're you're right. Anyway, sorry, keep going. But I think it's really intriguing. One of the intriguing things about this is that again, I, I framed it in terms of bargaining with God, but there's no bargaining. Yeah, right. Yeah. I mean, Abraham lists his, his new price, and God says, "Yeah, okay. I'll do that." Yeah. Just lower and lower and lower and lower until it gets down to ten people, and God says, "If I find even ten people, I won't destroy yeah. it." And again, it's also not Abraham asking and for something what? for himself; he's asking for something for others. Right. Yeah. And and I love what this tells us about Abraham in two things. One, again, like you say, Abraham cares deeply about not just Lot. But, you know, all of these uh, um, people there. But there's a sense here that God is giving Abraham a chance to learn something about Abraham. And this is something we see, of course, in, and this actually feeds into our our, our um, notion of justice and mercy. There's something I actually see showing up periodically in Scripture, um, this idea of prophetic intercession. Mm. That every so often you'll have God say, I'm going to destroy this. We're going to do something bad. And a prophet says, no, 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 wait a minute, God. Let, let, let's work through this a little bit. We see this in Exodus 32 yeah. with the golden calf. Um, we, Jeremiah does it. Yeah. There, there, there are a number Amos of places yeah. where yeah. we see. And again, the idea of us is like, well, but but how is, you know, how are they, you know, are, are they are they bargaining God down? And which I think it's important to see that, you know, the price thing is really what, they seem to be doing is we're in a situation where again god is both just and mercy because in the old testament they're the same thing mm. god's justice is god's mercy yeah. and so what abraham is doing is learning to exercise again he's just been commended for this charitable justice and mercy um thing there he's this this is again showing precisely that as he interacts with god that's beautiful. It's, it's, it's quite powerful. Actually. Yeah, yeah, it is. It is. And I think God gives us opportunities in our lives to uh, to learn to exercise and, and, and intercede on people's, you know, I think there are times where I've prayed for people and they've be, been healed uh, that God would have healed them anyway. And I'm sure it wasn't just because of me. I'm sure. sure there are other people praying. But there's something about the process of having us plead for someone that God wants us to go through. Yeah. Anyway, so this is, but this actually, actually feeds into, I think, the whole thing here. And this this great example of Moses' compassion, again, it's not for himself. Or Abraham's Feeds that into, yeah. actually, one of the hardest stories mm. in the entire Bible. Um, again, in the narrative, they couldn't even find five righteous people. Uh, ten righteous people, actually, they, they, they found five precisely. Um, and even that, um, you ended up with three at the end. Um, but, but, but in between this, remember the promise to Abraham's Abraham and Sarah are promised in, um, 18, they'll have a son finally, a couple of narratives there. And then, and then in, 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 in 21, finally they have Isaac. Finally, Abraham and Sarah have their kid. This has been, you know, decades coming. Um, it's been chapters coming, you know, in, uh, you know, we get the promise of the, of a child all the way back in 12 of our very first 
Aram narratives. This 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 has been a long time coming. Yeah. And again, they name him um, Yitzchak, Isaac. Isaac means he'll laugh, he'll rejoice. Yeah. The whole, there are all these great puns and word plays in there about the rejoicing. You know, Sarah says, even as, you know, God's made me rejoice, my son made the whole world rejoice. It's really powerful stuff. Yeah. And then it all comes crashing down. I mean, like, I mean, and, and, and this is, this is, you know, Genesis 22 um, is, this is the story of, again, we sometimes call it the sacrifice of Isaac. Uh, our Jewish friends call it the Akedah, the binding of Isaac, mm -hmm. because I guess not actually killed. Uh, that, that's so, what the word Akedah um, means. So, yeah, yeah. Right. Akedah means to bind or tie up. And actually, you find it, um, they use it um, here in, um, what is it? Verse um, verse 9, when it says he bound Isaac, his son. Zakad is the verb there. Okay, but again, you got this thing. And it came to pass after these things that God did tempt. And your footnote helps you here in the KJV, but in general, the Hebrew here is Nisa. Means, it means to test or to prove, mm -hmm. prove, to try. That God did try Abraham. God did prove Abraham and said unto him, Abraham. And he said, behold, here am I. Now, in one sense, to understand what's going on here, I really think this is one place where the book of Abraham is really helpful. Um, you already go. So if you go to Abraham three, you have um, again the whole thing about about creation. You know, Abraham was noble and great, but then you have this um, Abraham three twenty four and twenty five. And there stood one among them that was like unto God, and he said unto the with him, "We'll go down, for there is space there, and we'll take of these materials, and we'll make an earth whereon these may dwell." And we will prove them herewith to say if they will do all things whatsoever the Lord their God shall command them. We're going to make this earth and we're going to prove them. We're going to test them. We're going to try them. In an Abrahamic context, when we've got the word prove to see if they'll do all things that God command them, we're thinking about the binding of Isaac here. Yeah. We're thinking about this notion, this is Abraham being proved. Yep. If he'll do all things that the word will command him. Good. And, and so in a lot of ways, Abraham 3 is pushing us to Genesis 22. Absolutely. And, and, and uh, well, we can return to this maybe in a minute, but this idea that it's, Abraham's not going to be the only one that's going to be proved or tested or tried, right? It's, that's that's right. Genesis, or Abraham 3 is suggesting that has to happen for every single one of us, so. We can come back to that later, but um, I think that's important. Yeah, we're going to want to because it's yeah. it, 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 it's really important for understanding. Again, it's 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 actually I call the whole thing the wrinkle in the, in the law of consecration. We'll talk about that. Right. Okay, but again, so God says, "Okay, Abraham," and Abraham says, "Hebrew hinani, here am I." And this is this is kind of a it's actually a light motif. It's a word that shows up lots of times in this text. This idea, but this is the right so thing to say. When God says your name, you say... People, uh, just so they, they know that phrase, light motif. Okay, so light motif, it, 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 it's, a, it's a phrase that kind of appears throughout that kind of provides a narrative and, and a thematic um, push through the whole thing. Yeah. Good, okay. Yeah. And, and, and you're right. And so so, and we, it's almost literally like behold me or something like that, but it, it's, yeah. it's just so it's a like way the, of saying, like, you called... I'm here. Yeah. Yo, it's me, right? You know, yeah. exactly. And again, there's no, he says, and again, verse two. And he said, take now your son, thine only son, Isaac, 
whom thou lovest, and get thee the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains which I will tell thee of. Again, when we talk about proving whether they'll do whatever God will command you, Genesis 22 suggests to us that Abraham 3 is not talking about keeping mission rules or, you know, we're talking yeah. about this kind of obedience. This, 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 this test is not the stuff that's easy for us to keep. No, it's the, in all things, right? So, yeah. which basically means if you'll do the hardest thing, then I know you do the rest. So. Yeah. And, and with this, again, sometimes we like, you know, we'll take Genesis 2 and, and we'll, you know, we'll talk about, you know, we we use Jacob and the Book of Mormon and say, oh, this is this is Jesus. And these are all really important things to do with it. But I think to really get to that part, first we need to sit with the horror of this for a second. Mm -hmm. Sit with what God is asking. Um, actually, there's another great verse in Abraham, right? Again. Uh, the book of Abraham really helps with this because, again, the whole thing starts with this narrative of, you know, of, of Abraham being, you know, killed by, you know, being a, this attempted sacrifice by his father. Yeah. Right. And then you've got there. One of my favorite verses, in the entire book of Abraham, Abraham 2.12. Now, if the Lord had withdrawn from speaking for me and withdrawn his face from me, I said in my heart, thy servant has sought thee honest, uh, earnestly. Now I found thee. Abraham says, I found it. I found, I've been looking. This is what I was looking for. Right. What he was talking about is like Abraham 1, 2. He's talking about searching for it. And now as he receives this government from God, he says, now I've found it. Right. And there's a sense in Abraham 1 and 2. There's almost a sense of I was looking for a God that didn't ask people to kill kids. To some degree. Yeah. And suddenly, suddenly God comes and says, your son that you've been waiting for all these years. Again, I, again, I just, the way that just draw, you know, it's just take now your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and offer him for um, a sacrifice. And, and I think you're right that we have to look at Abraham 1 to fully understand that because I, I, we talk about all the time, Abraham was nearly sacrificed and his father's involved with that. And, and we kind of skip over it, but. I mean, the trauma that has to be involved with that. And Abraham handles it well. He seems to forgive his father. He's going to, his father travels with him for a while and that kind of a thing. But still, yeah. nearly being killed, and you would have been killed if not for angelic intervention at, by your father or by priests, but your father's involved. That's traumatic. Abraham has to have some really deep feelings about this. And this is much later, and he's grown and so on. But my guess is that there's still some pretty strong feelings about this. And then to be asked to be on the other side of that, so that now he knows what Isaac is going to feel, but he's yeah. the perpetrator of it. Uh, and of course, it's ultimately God. But but as he's picturing this, he's the perpetrator of it. And knowing how I, the, the way Isaac is going to think about this and feel about this in terms of him and the relationship that he's had with Isaac, and I, I mean, I just can't imagine a, a setup. That makes this so. You ask anyone to sacrifice their child, that's painful. But I can't picture yeah. someone who this is going to be more painful for than Abraham in terms of what he's been through, in terms of how long he's waited for Isaac, and in terms of that Isaac is a person who he's been promised will give him all these wonderful promises of the Abrahamic covenant. There's not any 
situation that could be created that would make this a more difficult thing to ask of Abraham. It is, as you said, this is a horrible thing to ask. And again, and that, the whole of the story tells us a little bit something Again, um, the great the great philosopher um, Soren Kierkegaard wrote a book, uh, you know, called Fear and Trembling, and then he asked the question that we really need to ask ourselves, which is, what kind of God would ask this, mm. and what kind of person would do this? And 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 in part of it, there are good answers for them. We'll talk about again this notion of uh, I think Abraham three really helps with um, what's going on here. But I think you understand it. We have to spend a few minutes and just really just stand there like Abraham for a second. And but one of the intriguing things about this, and this is why I want to uh, why, why, why I think it's worth talking about, especially in connection to the whole thing with Sodom and Gomorrah. There, Abraham, they're people that he hardly knows. They're strangers. I mean, his family's there, but they're people he hardly knows. And Abraham, he starts with 50 and he bargains and he pleads and, he, you know, don't get mad at me, God, and, you know, get, to get down to um, 10 righteous people to save Sodom. And I imagine he knows there are five in that family, right? So he definitely knows that he's including other people in this. Yes. But then he gets down here and God says, kill your son. And Abraham says nothing. There's no... Why? We, 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 we actually know what Abraham's thinking. Again, it's, it's really, because of course, the Bible is generally, the Old Testament in particular, is generally really reticent to tell us what people are thinking, yeah. right? It really doesn't um, give us a lot of insight into um, people's motivations. But it'll tell us, you know, a little bit here where they say whatever. But again, he doesn't say, again, God says, you know, sacrifice your son on these mountains. And Abraham, there's no, there's no response at all. He doesn't say, yes, I'll do that. He doesn't say, no, I'll do that. He just gets up the next morning, saddles his donkey, and um, goes out to do this thing. And it's not even just the next morning. It's early the next morning, right? Right. He gets first thing in the morning, he gets up and he goes to do well, this. I guess he hasn't been sleeping anyway. But um, yeah. but still, this is this is quick obedience. And that's one of the that's also kind of a, a motif in the uh, quick and early obedience is a motif in the Old Testament, but but Abraham yeah. uh, exemplifies it here. He models it for us, right? Okay, you asked me to do first thing in the morning, like really first thing in the morning. I'm I'm doing this worst thing that yeah. anyone could ever ask. Now, we we wish we wish we had uh, more in the text about Sarah's reaction to this. And some have um, supposed that he never even talked to her. I, I suppose that's not accurate, but I don't know. Yeah, I mean, there's 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 a rabbinic tradition that says that she heard about it and just fell down dead at that point. Yeah. Um, but but we don't we don't know. I I I just this is one of those places where um, I wish ancient scripture were a little bit more willing to tell us more about um, the women we know were involved with it. Yeah. Um, that because yeah. obviously this is going to be a trial for Sarah as much as for Abraham yeah. or more than for Abraham in some ways. Yeah. Um, but they go, and again, it's it's three days. I mean, it, it, the funny thing is God, God doesn't even say, you know, this talk about making it even harder, right? It's not even that, you know, it's like right next door. He travels for three days 
to get to the place where God um, finally shows uh, where it's going to be. And tradition is that this is uh, on the, the Temple Mount or where they're doing with the rock is today. We don't know if that's, that's accurate right. or not, but that's tradition. And that the stone maybe even is the other stone that the Dome of the Rocks built of. We have no idea, but that's um, that's kind of the tradition. Yeah. Oh, also with this, I just uh, remember this with with this with this moving towards um, thing and this this traveling. Um, so in 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 Genesis, when he commands to take your son, he says to him, "Lech lecha," which is significant because back in Genesis twelve. When he gives him the very first commandment, get you out of your country, go to a new place. I'm going to make this covenant with you. He says to Abraham, lech lecha, get up and go. And so it's the same. The commandments to sacrifice Isaac is framed in the same kind of covenantal language that the original commandment in Genesis um, 12 was. Yeah. yeah. Again, just, it's just, it's, I mean, it's powerful stuff. And then he says, okay. He says to his um, servants, you guys stay here. We're gonna take. Um, I'm gonna take the kid up. We're gonna go up um, up there, and we'll come and we'll come back. Um, now, again, the, the rabbinic sages say that this this proves that Abraham knew what was gonna happen um, because he says we'll come back to you, um, and so because he's the plural verb, therefore he must have known something was gonna happen. I'm not buying it. I don't think Abraham um, um, had any idea that how he's gonna get out of this, no. but. He was, he was going to do no. it. Although he had to have exercised some kind of faith to say, okay, well, you told me that the covenant's going to be fulfilled this way, but I'm killing it. I don't know how that works, so I'm just going to trust you yeah. that you make it work somehow. So, and, and Paul talks about him having faith. But I don't think, I mean, we can have faith that something's going to happen, and at the same time, and this has happened to me, I'm sure it's happened to you, I'm sure it's happened to everyone, where you say, I don't get how this is working, God. I yeah. really don't see how this works out the way you told me it was going to work. This does not seem to be according to the plan. And even to say, I don't like how you're doing this. I don't, I just, yeah. not only, you know, not just, you know, I don't, I, I really think there's a better way to do this. Yeah. Um, but, but again, the point is, and we'll talk about what you, you just you keep going and we'll talk about, um, but yeah. So he, he takes the wood and of course he puts it right on Isaac and there, there, there are Christological elements in this, right? Yeah. This idea of. Um, carrying your own, um, you know, sacrificial elements and, you know, the cross and things like that. Actually, um, in Midrash Rabbah, in Genesis Rabbah, there's even a tradition that says that this is like um, a crucified person carrying his cross. Mm. Um, so so even um, with rabbinic literature, I didn't know that. the fire in one and the knife in the other, and they, again, they both of them go two together. Um, and this repeated a couple places in there. Yeah. And Isaac says... Maybe here's that other place. You know, Isaac says, my father. And he says, here am I. Hinani. It's that same mm -hmm. thing that he said when God, oh, when Abraham, had, when God spoke to Abraham. He said, here's fire. Okay. And here's wood. So where's the offering? Isaac is maybe putting a couple of things together here. Yeah. Um, At least that. certainly it's not making sense to him. Yeah. And Abraham said, my son... God will, and it says provide himself. Um, the kind of the Hebrews actually will see to it, mm. uh, is the sense. And of course, in English, we can do fun things with this, right? God will provide himself yeah. for a lamb, yeah. right? We can do we can do fun Christological things with that. But but the sense of it is, is God God will see to it. Don't worry about it. 
Which is a great foreshadowing, again, actually. But Right, exactly. Um, and, and again, they, they two went together. Abraham builds an altar. He lays the wood. Again, just, I mean, honestly, the, the, I love the way the narrator does this. It's just, he's just building, right? You know, they stop, they question, they two go together. They get to the spot. Abraham builds an altar. And then he lays the wood on the, um, for the fire. And then he ties up his son. And doesn't say anything about, you know, and again, this is one of those fun things about that. Doesn't say anything what Isaac's doing. Yeah. Um, there's a non-zero chance that Isaac is big enough and Abraham's old enough that he could have stopped this at any time. Oh, yeah. Yeah, in fact, the word that's used for Isaac here indicates that he's in the, like, youth to young adult age, not yeah. in the child age, right? And Abraham's like 100-something yeah, yeah, yeah. years it's old. Yeah, he's not yelling, and so... Yeah, yeah, and uh, I don't know any 100-year-olds uh, that can keep up with teenagers, to be honest. I, I mean, I think yeah. if Isaac wants to take off, Isaac can take off. But we get zero description about that. It's implied, but zero description about that. Yeah. Um, and then again, the, the way she's doing, he, he lays, he ties him up. This is this is the akad root that comes to the akedah. He lays him out on the wood, and Abraham stretched forth his hand and took the knife to slay. And again, it's, it's just it's just like in slow motion yeah. here, the way the narrator does this, and took forth his knife to slay his son. And the angel Lord called unto him out of heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham, here it is again. And he said, in a knee, here am I. And he said, lay not thine hand upon the lad, neither do anything unto him. And then this is, this is, we were talking about previously. For now I know thou fearest God, seeing thou hast not withhold, uh, withheld thy son, thine only son from me. <sighs> again, this is this is this notion of proving here, and the sense because part of it is as much that Abraham needs to learn it right. as God needs to learn. Now that's it. the way Joseph Smith put it, right? Is Abraham needed to learn something about Abraham? Yes, and and of course with this, and this is um, as we think about again, what is back to our question? What is God doing here? Um, Joseph Smith um, talked about, except in other places from other prophets too, this notion of the Abrahamic test. Yeah. And this, this is what Abraham 3 is talking about here. This idea that what God wants is us. Yes. And he is willing to do anything to get us. Yeah. He, and again, and again, part of what he wants is us. And so, and so what Joseph taught was actually, he said, he said um, John Taylor said that he said, he said, God will take you and wrench you by the heartstrings. Yeah. And if you can't take it, you're not worthy of the kingdom of God. This recognition that God wants to see and wants us to see that we can give everything yes. to him. That's why I call this the wrinkle in the law of consecration. This is this is the part where you know you know okay in some way it's it's been hard for us traditionally, but you know okay stuff is just stuff, time is just time. But what God really wants is you. Yeah. What He wanted was Abraham, and He's willing to break us into pieces to get us. And this is this is not an easy doctrine. No. This is not a, you know, it's a, scary it's not a comfortable doctrine. doctrine. It's a very scary doctrine. Yeah. 
Um, but I, I like to think of examples from scripture. I mean, we got the Abraham, Abraham is the one who gives it the name. But, you know, there are other places where, you know, again, I think of, of, of Nephi killing Laban. Yeah. Right? You've got first Nephi 3-7, and Nephi is like, I will go and do whatever God commands. It's all, you know, it's all big brass trumpets. Right. And then you turn the page, and God says, kill Laban. And he says, wait a minute, God. I, I didn't mean it. Yeah, this is I, not I, what I was signing up for when I said that. When I said I'll do anything, I didn't mean that. And, and, and God's like, no, you need to do it. And it's really interesting that, I mean, even written 30, 40 years later, First Nephi 4 feels like the hardest thing that Nephi's ever done. Um, in some ways, it's that oh, yeah. test. Yeah. Um, I was just reading um, for a class. I was just reading uh, Luke. Luke 1. Where, you know, Gabriel announces to um, Mary and says, you know, you're going to have a baby and, you know, it's going to be, you know, and, and, and Mary's like, how and what and why? And God explains, you know, Gabriel explains to her what's going to be. And Mary says, behold, the handmaid of the Lord, I'm I'm your slave. I'll do what you want me to do. And, and she has to understand the horrific way this is going to impact her life, right? To be in a yeah. small, little, very religiously conservative uh, village, pregnant out of wedlock. That's not an easy thing to say, okay, yeah, fine with me. But that's what she says. Yeah. yeah, And it, it's, it's a reputation. Yeah. It, it's, it's, it's actually, it's her whole body, right? Yeah. You know, pregnancy is a whole body it's thing. Her body, it's her future. I mean, she has to guess that Joseph and no one else is ever going to marry her. Uh, I mean, so she's giving up her body. She's giving up her, her life, her way of life, her future. She's giving up everything. And then and then and then she goes to the temple and Simeon says, "Oh yeah, it's going to be a sword through your heart." Yeah, that's nice. And he's like, "Great, yeah. you know." But, but again, this, this example of this kind of consecration yeah. that the Lord is looking for. Well, I think that we're going to see. I mean, it is throughout all of scriptures, but I think that in the the next little while, we're going to see this theme of whether or not you're willing to to go through an Abrahamic sacrifice, uh, and who is and who isn't is going to be an important theme. So I, I just love for my our, our audience to think through it and look for it in terms of. I think we're going to see it in in uh, Jacob's story, the story of Jacob. We're going to see it in the story of Joseph. We're going to see it in the story of uh, Eli as opposed to Samuel. We're going to see it in the story of uh, Saul, uh, uh, who's not doing it just like Eli's not doing it. We're going to see it in the story of um, Ruth. We're going to see it in the story of Hannah. Uh, it, we're just going to see this motif come up again and again and again, uh, but it's set up so masterfully here. And, and um, yeah. There are a couple other things, and, and uh, so maybe I can just touch on a couple things lightly, even though I think most people, that's where they'll spend a lot of their time, and that's great. But then I'd love to, to kind of talk with you about one of the ways that I've I've taught this, and just get your feedback and your thoughts and, and, and see what you think sure. about it. But, but one of the things that I love about this is that uh, we have all sorts of symbols in the Old Testament that highlight the, the sacrifice or are symbolic of or a type of the sacrifice of Christ from the, the point of view of Christ. This is really the only one where the focus is on the Father, right? That, that here we kind of see the sacrifice of Christ from the Father's point of view. It's worth, and we spent just a moment talking about Isaac and and how this is for Isaac. And I do think Isaac serves as a symbol or a type of Christ here. And I would, I, I think there's just a, a hint at Isaac's willingness, but not enough to to really get go too far with it. But there's a hint because the focus is on Abraham. Uh, probably because of these uh, sacrificial reasons that we're talking about. But I think also it's the one time we see this from God's point of view. And I remember hearing this story about um, 
uh, President Faust and Elder Holland being in, in Jerusalem, and, and one time President Faust just asked Elder Holland to teach about uh, you know this uh, story, and and the point that uh, Elder Holland raised was when it came time for God and Christ to do the sacrifice, there was no ram in the thicket. They didn't escape. Yeah. Right. They, they went through with it. And and that, I appreciate that sacrifice more for understanding this story. And so that, that I mean, they just people could spend a ton of time going through the symbolism and there's a ton of symbols of Christ and the father and yeah. so on. But, but I want to return to this idea that you had brought up about how important it is for us and, and, and see, uh, get some feedback from you because as you said, it's, we say it's so that Abraham would know about Abraham, but it's not so he knows cognitively. It's a process, right? Yeah. We're a gospel of becoming. It's so that it's really so that Abraham becomes something different by going through this process. Abraham may have been willing at the beginning of this story, but by the end of the story, by having gone through it, I think he's become something different. And so we have to ask ourselves, why would God require for Abraham, and as you said, of all of us, such a terrible sacrifice. I think everyone, whether they actually have to go through with it or not, and some will and some won't, but everyone has to be willing to make this Abrahamic sacrifice. And and the, and the question really is kind of why? Um, so here's at least one thought I've had on, on this that I'd love to, to see what you think. But um, I think about, well, what God wants, the, the purpose of what we're becoming and so on. It, he wants to exalt us. He wants us to become exalted beings. And to some degree, that has to come from our being willing to yield our hearts to God, from us being willing to give ourselves up to him. But it, uh, even then, it requires him, once we've yielded it, he has to change us. He has to make us something different, right? God has to save us. That's the thing. God has to be the one to save us. And I think that there, there's something in us that whatever we love the most is where we're going to put our, our thoughts, our feelings, our energies, and our trust. So let me put it uh, this way. My wife is a fantastic, wonderful person, and I love my wife. But as much as my wife would like to exalt me, she is incapable of exalting me. She can't do it. And if I love my wife more than God, or my children more than God, then my love, affection, energy, and trust, it should be put on them, but it can't be prioritized over God, right? It, um it, because they're not capable of exalting. It's only by loving God more than anything else. So we're willing to give everything else up that we develop the kind of trust and relationship that allows him to change us and exalt us. And so in my mind, that's at least part of the reason why we all have to go through uh, or at least be willing to go through an Abrahamic sacrifice is because it's necessary to make us the kind of beings that will rely on God in the way that we need to rely on God to receive salvation. So I, I don't know. That, yeah, I, I was just going to say I, I think, I'd love your I, thoughts. Yeah, I think I think that's that's key again because um, of course, Elder Maxwell used to talk about you know, and he's not the person who said this, right? But you know, but he said if it so you well. don't put God first. Um, it doesn't matter what else you, you know, whatever else you pick. That's right. And and I think the key thing about that and why it's such a hard doctrine in terms of this process of becoming um, and with that is it's easy to see how putting personal wealth and fame in front of you makes you, you know, hard, keeps you out of the kingdom of God. It's a lot harder to see when things like your familiar relationships or your, yeah. you know, 
Um, you know, I, I whenever you know, it's New Testament he, in the Gospels, and you know, Jesus says you've got to hate your family. Yeah. And my students are like, Ooh. What? So is there something in the Greek here that maybe yeah. it's? I'm like, no. Yeah. Jesus means you cannot love your family more than God. Yeah. Those are probably the hardest teachings, at least for my students. That's those are the hardest things people have accepting from teachings from Christ, like. You put father and mother ahead of me or, you know, let the dead bury their dead and these kinds of things. All these examples where he's trying to say, you cannot put your family in front of me. You you can't. And again, it's not like he's saying you can't love them, but they cannot be first. Yeah. And, and part of why, and this is why I think, to, to your point there, this is why I think the Abraham test is so hard, is because we have to be wrenched out of it. We're none of us, at least not myself. I'm not good enough to say, Oh yeah, yeah, God, I can do this. I give you everything. It's great. Um, I, you know, this, this, this knock and say, okay, is this really true? Let's see. Let's let's prove you. Right. It will prove you here with, and it's hard because we often talk. Actually, I, I, I sometimes struggle just a titch. We'll say just a titch with that. With, with with our emphasis again, it's scriptural. It's fine, but talk about the plan of the plan of happiness. I understand why we talk about it. I, again, often you know, like you know, whatever. And our, you know, eternal, you know, joy is our destination, whatever. But I worry sometimes, as we talk about the plan of happiness, we forget the fact that what the plan is about is about us becoming this, and we forget the fact that that's not an easy journey. Right. Um, there's a again, Elder Holland in his famous talk, Mission Working Atonements. He asks, yeah, you know, he, he does the whole thing in there about, you know, why is missionary work easy? You know, it's true. We have the Holy Ghost. Why, 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 why is this hard? And then he says, because salvation is not a cheap experience. Yeah. It wasn't easy for Jesus. And I, for me, I think that's actually the greatest example of the Abrahamic test. Mm-hmm. We have this powerful example in the New Testament where Jesus Christ is stretched out on his face and we have a picture where he's kneeling. And then the scripture is very clear. He's yeah. he's on his face. Yeah. And he says, in he says, agony. Father, any other way to do this? Let's do it that way. Yeah. I don't says, want to do it not this way if, if we can avoid it. Anyway, sorry. Keep going. Yeah, any other way. But it's not what I want. It's what you yep. want. And fundamentally, that's what the Abrahamic test is. Yeah. It's not what I want. It's what you want. And so to your point about becoming, we talk about becoming means being like Jesus. Yes. Part of the Abraham test invites us to do is to take becoming like Jesus very, very seriously. Yes. And I've often said to, to people, and some I don't know why, but some people feel a little uncomfortable with this, but I'm, I'm, I'm convinced it's true. You can tell me, uh, someone should convince me it's not if I'm wrong, but... Um, when I look at that experience and exactly what you talked about in Gethsemane, um, and when he's at that lowest point, 
where he is pleading and saying, I, I, I don't want to do this, right? Take this cup from me. I, if there's any other way, if there's anything, I don't, this is so hard. I don't want to do it this way if we can find out any other way to do it. But then, as you said, it's not my will, but thine, right? I think it is not, I think Christ's love for us certainly is a huge factor here. But the thing that gets him through is his love for God. It's that he says, I'll do whatever you want, God. If that's what you want, I'll do it. And so to me, it's his love for God more than love for us, more than love for everything. Not that those aren't important, but it is his love for God that sees him through that moment. And I suspect that it has to be the same for us, that in our hardest moments, the, the most difficult things we'll have to do, the only thing that will get us through is our love for God. So again, if we love anything else more than God, we won't make it through those moments. Yeah. No, I think I think that I, I think it's a really good reading. Again, he, he doesn't say, you know, I don't like this, but I love everybody else. He, all he says is, if it's what you want, that's what I'll do. Yeah. I, I, I don't want you to want this. Yeah. But if it's what you want, I will do that. And I, I think it's very valuable for us to, again, this is the act of atonement. One, I think it's really valuable in, in, in thinking as, as we think about our, our, our Abrahamic tests. If we think about this, this proving. It's worth noting that Jesus himself says, I don't like this. And so when we're in the midst of these kinds of tests, when things are just awful, just terrible, it's okay to say, I don't like this. Is there another way? I'd really like you to do this another way, God. If if there's anything else, let's do it that way. Yeah. But it's not what I want. It's what you want. The other thing I think that's key about the Abrahamic test is, of course, it's different for all of us, yeah. right? It's 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 because again, the things in some ways Abraham three tells us that God's not worried about the, the commandments are easy for us to keep. He knows He loves us for it. He loves you for it, right? You know, you can keep those commandments. You know, good job. But He really wants to know about those places where it hurts, yeah. where it's hard for us to put Him first. And today there are a lot again, of those. There are a lot of different places, right, where people have these different pain points that are associated with their identity and their role with, in society and in the congregation and with all of us. And there are pain points all over the place. It's so many different ways. But whatever it is uh, that, that's really difficult for you, you, you you're going to have to put God first. And he's going and, and to, again, Mr. Smith, he's going to poke you in it. Yeah. And it's going to hurt. And it's going to be hard. Yeah. And and I really think this is the real power of the Abraham story. There's no candy coating it. There's no, you know, oh, Abraham knew all along, everything, you know, there's no, you know, it's, it's just kill your son. And Abraham says, okay. Okay. I can't imagine. And God says, okay. I can't. I, yeah, yeah. I, I don't like to imagine. I, I, I run away from that in my mind. I, I can't. I can't. I can grapple with that for a while, and then I have to stop grappling with it. It's too hard. But, yeah. but, but I do think. And again, this is. It, it's it's part of what it means to be consecrated, is the Lord says, "I want you." Yeah. And I'll do anything I can to get you. Yeah. In fact, a couple times as you've talked about this, you've reminded me of C.S. Lewis a little bit and some of his things about, you know, it's, it's you I want, not get, let's get rid of everything yeah. else. It's you I want. 
Yeah. Anyway, well, beautiful stuff. Yeah, no, it's it, it's powerful, and it's and it, it. I think this here, this is why we talk about the Abrahamic covenant. This is it. This is um actually there's actually there's a midrash about that. It's a really fun one. Um, where David asks, so uh, why is it the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but not the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and David? And God says, well, they were tested. And Abraham says, and David says, oh, well, test me. And then the Midrash immediately quotes um, the Bathsheba story yeah. and frames and frames it frames the David and Bathsheba as a failed Abrahamic test. Which it is. Which is really intriguing. Yeah. Now, I, I think uh, David kind of, kind of bounces back from that and comes back through. But uh, no, Dave, Dave, David is the king of bouncing yeah. back. That's kind of David's yeah. um, example for us in some. But way. I think that's. But I think it's interesting the way to frame that in terms of you know the reason we talk about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is because of the Abrahamic tests. Which is interesting because I can identify Abraham's and I can identify Jacob's Abrahamic test. I think with Jacob, there's a whole lot of the story we don't have. I mean, with Isaac. With Isaac, there's a ton of Isaac yeah. story that we just don't have, but I'm assuming Isaac went through some. Well, actually, we just went through an element of it. Maybe this was also Isaac's yeah, Abrahamic no, test. I, I think in part this is yeah, that that makes lying sense. there on the altar, looking at his dad with a knife. Yeah. Uh, okay, you're right. I I, I I take back that statement. I, I can identify all three of them. You're you're absolutely right. And but I think that there's an important lesson we can uh, take from that whole David story because. Uh, as I said, we're going to have this theme and, and see a number of times in the Old Testament, people who passed the Abrahamic test and people who didn't. Uh, and, and it certainly happens. And sometimes they're contrasted with each other. I think uh, Eli and Samuel, or actually, I think it's Eli and Hannah that uh, are, yeah. are contrasted there. Uh, but Samuel is as well. Uh, actually, there's a stark contrast between Eli and Samuel as well. But, um, but some of us may fail our first go round. Um, and I think uh, David failed his first go around, but I think David was uh, it came back, and and I think we can have that chance to come back. Don't give up if you didn't if if you didn't do well uh, initially. You can God will keep working with you. You can have another crack at this. I think so. Let's not be too hard on ourselves in that situation. No, I, I think that that's a really key thing. Is that God again? He, he wants you, and He's going to pull and try. It's not like you know you have your Abraham test and you fail. It's all over. Yeah. I mean, again, definitionally. You know, you know, sometimes you like, my kids like, well, you know, is it second chance? I go, yeah, God's got a second chances and third chances and yeah. fourth chances and fifth chances, hundredth chances. Yeah. If, if we could mix metaphors here a little bit or combine two stories into the same metaphor, if we're going to say, uh, or two ideas, if we're going to say that God feels after your very heartstrings. Sometimes when he pulls on those heartstrings, they'll break. Uh, but it's okay yeah. because God can give us another heart and try again. Yeah, no, I think I was one time, again, this notion of a broken heart and a contrite spirit, right? You know, and we, you know, one time, and this is not to diminish, I was in a, an elders quorum lesson once, they were talking about, you know, you know, how are, you know, how, how do we break our hearts and whatever? And I actually had a, it was actually a powerful experience where basically God said, oh no, your heart's going to break regardless. Yeah. yeah. The question is not, do you break your heart? The question is, what do you do with your broken hearts? Uh, are you are you going to give it to God? Yeah, yeah, that's um, that's true. That's, uh, and it's scary. This is scary, but at the same time reassuring doctrine. But which is why I love pairing it with the story of Sodom and Abraham in there, because it, it's it's the same God. Yeah. This is the God who says, "No, don't worry. Yeah, 
absolutely, absolutely, I'll spare it. Absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. As many times as you ask, he's there. But also what he wants is you, and he'll do everything he can to get you. Beautiful and powerful. That's wonderful. Well, thank you, Avram. I really appreciate it. I hope we can uh, convince you. I know you're busy, but uh, hopefully we can convince you to come back another time. But I'm just so grateful for this time spent with you. I'm, I'm sure the uh, our listeners are as well. And, and so we'll encourage them if, uh, if this was useful to share it with others. That's really what this is about. I mean, I don't care about numbers of uh, audience and things like that. But what we do want, and I, I know Avram has the same uh, desire, we want to help as many people as possible. So if this was useful for you, share it with family, friends, uh, neighborhood, I don't know, someone across the world that you know. Uh, but uh, thank you again, Avram. And uh, I hope the scriptures have become more real it. for everyone. I know they've become more for, real for me as I've listened to you. So, so thank you. And I hope that you and everyone else has a wonderful day. Thank you.